Hey everyone, great to be with you today. If you are joining us online for the first time or you're listening online for the first time, so great to have you with us. This is week seven in this summer message series, Exodus, Living into God's Freedom. And today we are in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. If you'd like to uh, turn there in your Bible, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out from the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're here with us now. Pray that you would speak as we look at your word today. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just uh, help us to hear the message that you have for each and every one of us. In your name I pray. Amen. So several years ago, I came across a verse in the New Testament letter to the Romans, which really had an influence on how I read and understand the Old Testament. In Romans, Paul is writing to some first century Christians, and he's been drawing on examples and parts of the Old Testament to explain our current experiences as followers of Christ and how we are to live today. And he wrote this in Romans 15, 4. He said, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what happened to the people of Israel really happened. And the Old Testament records the historical interactions of the living God with the human race. But Paul says those things are written down for our instruction. They're written for our encouragement. They're written so that we following Christ, might have hope in the present age. He says something similar to the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He said, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So when we're reading about the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, we're not just reading interesting history but we're reading for instructions on how we're to follow Jesus, the greater Moses, in the era that we're currently living through. And we've already learned so very much, haven't we? We've learned that God rescues us 
when we can't rescue ourselves, as God sent us a deliverer in Jesus, just as he sent Moses to the Israelites. We've learned that God provides for our needs as we follow him through this strange and difficult life on planet Earth. We've learned that grumbling is natural, but it's not God's will for us during our struggles of faith. And we've also learned that sometimes, as Christians, God fights our battles for us, and we have only to be still. But the lesson we learned from today's text is that sometimes God calls us to do the fighting. We see three major lessons in this text that I want to point out. One, sometimes we have to fight. Number two, we always need one another. And number three, we always need the Lord. So first we see here that sometimes we Christians do have to fight. This passage starts out with the words, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So let me remind you what we've seen so far. God led the Israelites through the Red Sea. They arrived in the wilderness of Shur, where there was bad water. So God told Moses to throw a log into the water. When he did, it made the water good to drink, and God provided for the Israelites' water. Then God led the Israelites to Elam, which was a place of abundant water, with 12 freshwater springs and 70 palm trees. Then God led the Israelites to the wilderness of sin. That's where they grumbled against Moses about the perceived lack of food. So that's when God started them on this daily diet of manna from heaven. In chapter 17, the Israelites arrive at a place called Rephidim. Again, they can't find water, so they start arguing with Moses and again grumbling against him. But this time, God tells Moses to take his staff and strike a rock. And when Moses strikes the rock with his staff, fresh water starts flowing from the rock. Now, we didn't study that passage together in this series, but it immediately precedes today's text. So now, while the Israelites are at Rephidim, this group known as the Amalekites swoops down and starts to attack them. Now, the Amalekites are descendants of Jacob's brother Esau, and they were a violent bunch who provided for themselves by raiding against other groups and taking their possessions when they were in a weakened state. In summarizing this battle, in Deuteronomy 25, Moses would write, Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were struggling behind, straggling behind. They had no fear of God. So on this occasion, rather than God just raining down hail or water from heaven on the enemies of Israel, he says, send in the troops. And it's here that we're introduced to the young man Joshua for the first time, who would have been somewhere between 30 and 40, we believe. Now later, Joshua will take over from Moses and lead the Israelites in their campaign to take possession of the land of Canaan, to take possession of the promised land. But this is his first battle ever. Actually, it's all of their first battle ever. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. They had not been warriors. And now God says to Joshua, gather some men and go and fight 
the Amalekites and rescue Israel from these enemies. Now, we modern Christians, we really don't want to have to fight. We really want God to be available when we need him in stressful times. We like getting together with our Christian friends and enjoying fellowship. We like singing upbeat and inspirational hymns and worship songs. But alas, following Jesus will mean that sometimes we do have to actually fight for things. I thought of at least three areas where we Christians need to be willing to fight. And I'm sure you can think of more. Number one, we need to be willing to fight for the lives of others. This is what Joshua was fighting for. He was young and strong, but the weak and tired were being attacked. He had to fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves and rescue their lives. This is why I love that movie, The Sound of Freedom, so much. It's the story of one man who decided that he could no longer sit by while children were being kidnapped in mass and bought and sold into the sex trade. He had to fight. And I hope that God calls many more men and women like Tim Ballard to fight that fight. This is also why we need to always honor our military veterans. They have actually fought for the lives of others and for our own lives. Sometimes we Christians need to be willing to fight to rescue people, very literally. Number two, we Christians need to be willing to fight for the souls of the young. The souls of our young people in our world are under attack like never before. Our children and young adults are being inescapably and continually bombarded with messages from the culture, from their peers, and they threaten to tear their souls apart. We can't sit by and say that it's out of our control and just watch our kids be spoon-fed insanity. We must do everything we can to reach them with the gospel, teach them how to think biblically, pray them through their battles, support them in their challenges, and provide them with a compelling family and foundation in the church. This is why our ministries like Awana are so critical, like Children's Church are so critical, like our youth ministry is so critical. We're fighting for the very souls of young people. Number three, we Christians need to be willing to fight for the preservation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the unchanging message of the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God for the salvation of sinners. And the message is that we're all sinners, but that if we repent and turn to God, putting our faith in Jesus, that we can be forgiven of our sin, filled with God's spirit, adopted into God's eternal family and live forever. But ever since the gospel message was put into circulation, Satan has been trying to discredit it and corrupt it so people won't believe and be saved. And if it's corrupted in its transmission, it won't be received the way it needs to be so that people can hear it and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. You know, this very thing was heavy on the heart of Jude, the little brother of Jesus in the first century. In the letter of Jude, he was writing to some fellow believers. He said he really wanted to write to them about the great things that they share in common because of their mutual salvation in Christ. But he felt compelled to call them 
to arms because of the things that were infiltrating the church. He said in Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Things like these are worth fighting for. The lives of others, the souls of our young people, the preservation of the gospel that can save people from Satan and hell. Now, a second lesson we learn from this passage is that as we fight, we always need one another. This passage is the classic picture of how even the strongest of leaders cannot fight battles on their own. Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So each person named here is critical in the victory accomplished in this passage. Joshua was the young guy in top fighting condition leading an army of unskilled Israelite men in hand-to-hand combat. When the Amalekites swooped in fast, he had to demonstrate instant courage and willingness and enlist other men to join him. Although Moses is strong in the Lord, his 80-year-old body was not the right choice for this ground game. But Moses' role was critical. His role was to stand in a place where all the fighters could see him and to keep the staff of God raised high. Now, Moses' staff is getting to be quite important in this Exodus journey. When Moses first met God, God turned Moses' staff into a snake to prove that he was really God. And then uh, God had performed the same miracle with the staff for the Israelites and Pharaoh. Then Moses used that staff to strike the Nile and turn the water to blood. He stretched the staff over Egypt to bring the plague of locusts. He stretched the staff over the Red Sea, dividing the water. And then again to bring the waters back down on the Egyptians. Earlier in chapter 17, God told Moses to use his staff to strike the rock to bring out water. By this point in the journey, Moses is referring to his staff in verse 9 as the staff of God. Moses' role was to keep the staff raised during the battle. If he did, the battle would go in the Israelites' favor, but if the staff came down, the battle would go in the Amalekites' favor. And at first, it looks like Moses has an easier job than Joshua. But have you ever tried to keep your arms raised over your head for an extended period of time. You know, this gave me a flashback from my childhood to one of the ingenious disciplinary tactics of my father when we were on family road trips. We would, all six of us, ride in a small 
four-door sedan. And me and my two brothers would be stuffed in the back seat. And we were young and we get irritated with one another. We start elbowing one another. And my dad would get tired of it, all the commotion. So he would say, all right, guys, put your hands on the ceiling. And so we have to put our hands up because we were, we were bugging one another. And after just 30 seconds, it would start to hurt. And then sometimes we would cry. And dad said, are you going to leave each other alone? We'd say, yes. He's like, all right, you can put your hands down. And I will tell you that we would much rather not poke each other than have to put our hands above our head because it hurts. The beautiful thing is how Moses' big brother Aaron and this other guy, her, step in to support Moses. It says he took a rock and put it under him and held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other. And with their help, his hands held steady until the battle was over. There is not a more perfect picture of how much we need each other as we fight these important battles of the Christian life. I was thinking about it this week. Our young people are a bit like Joshua's. They're getting bombarded daily with peer pressure and antagonism, with people swirling in despair and unbelief all around them. And it always threatens to suck them in. And we need them out there fighting the good fight, standing strong, not giving in. We need our teachers to feel strong as they care for these young people and guide and shepherd them. And I want us, the leaders and the teachers at Crossroads, to be like Moses to these folks as they're in their battles. I want our young people and our teachers to come to church each week, and I want them to see the pastors and leaders holding up the Word of God as the unchanging standard of truth, just as Moses raised up that staff. I want you all to know we're here for you. We're pulling for you. We're praying for you. I want you to be able to look up from your battles and see that the adults and leaders are in your corner and we're dedicated to helping get you through as you strive to live for Christ and shine his light. We want you to draw strength from us. And I'm also grateful for all the errands and the hers in our congregation. You know, some people feel like they can no longer physically serve in the way that they used to, in the way that they'd like to because of health issues. But many of the people who can't serve physically anymore, they serve through prayer, emails of encouragement, regular participation in worship. And they are the ones that hold up the leaders and the pastors during the difficult seasons. Now, I was also thinking of our security team here at the church and all the protection that they provide for our ministries each week. They joyfully welcome people and they make sure that we're all safe as we do the work of equipping the children and teaching the adults and strengthening one another. It takes a team. So I will say to all of you, no matter what age you are, you need other people and other people need you. Joshua needed Moses, Moses needed Aaron and her, and they all needed one another, and the Israelites needed them. And so, as we think about this fall and different opportunities to connect with others, how might God call you to connect with other believers? To maybe sign up for a class, like a training course, like doing what Jesus did, or for Alpha to strengthen your roots, or maybe to serve others, or to connect in a grow group to go deeper in the Word of God together. We always need one another. No one 
can fight the battles of the Christian life on their own. The final lesson we learn is that we always need the Lord. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I love this. At the end of the battle, they didn't build an altar to Joshua or make a statue of Moses or write a song about Aaron and Hiram. They build an altar to the Lord. They say, the Lord is our banner. He's the one we're fighting for. He's the one we rally around. And as we fight on the ground level, he gives us the victory. Now, I would say to the most talented, physically fit, you know, intelligent Christian leader, you cannot do the Lord's work on your own power. I would be as firm to say as you shall not attempt to do God's work on your own power because it's the Holy Spirit who must be calling the shots to do the Lord's work. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us strength when we have none. It's the Holy Spirit who puts together the right team and equips the team members with the right gifts and knowledge. In the end, it's only the Holy Spirit who can bring the victory. You know, another thing to remember as we fight these critical battles as Christians, we need to remember who our real enemies are. We're not fighting against other human beings. We're fighting a much darker, more powerful foe. And this is why we must fight with different weapons than the weapons of the world. This is why Paul penned the famous passage in Galatians 6, when he said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that means human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. In conclusion, don't be passive when God is calling you to engage in the fight, because some fights are worth fighting for. Maybe right now God is calling you to get in and get involved in fighting for the souls of others or serving in a ministry where we train the young people or you get the training to fight the Lord's battles, to win souls to Christ, to fight the good fight. And don't ever fight solo. You can't do it and you're not called to try. Figure out what your role is and then do that and help others as they do their roles. And don't ever forget that our greatest weapon is prayer because the Lord is the difference between victory and defeat. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're so good. And Lord, I thank you that when you call us, 
to fight. You are there with us in the battle. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us all with your power, that you would strengthen us to follow you, strengthen us to engage in those battles that you're calling us to engage in. Some things are worth fighting for, and there's a lot of people who need the gospel of Jesus. They need someone to invite them to church. They need someone to share their faith. They need someone to ask them to accept Christ. They need prayer. There's a lot of people who are trapped and they need our help. So Lord God, mobilize us for action. And now Lord, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught as we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare together what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.